This Halloween, prepare to be taken by storm. Whoa, 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 chill out, dude! Join Final Room Productions as we prepare to play the old-time radio drama War of the Worlds, as no one has ever heard it before. That's because in the year 2030, it's not Martians we have to fear, but one another. Get me away from this psycho, dude! Play it in the car, play it in your house, play it in your haunted crypt, but whatever you do, tune in Sunday, October 31st from 7 to 8 p.m. on transcontinentalterror.com or from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. streaming at wmpg.org. This is one show you do not want to miss and you'll never forget. I'm not making this up. We've got to get somewhere safe. Safe! Welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told to the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here are your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred. That great theme music by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. And here we are, uh, rocking our way into week four of our audio Halloween showcase of horror, our favorite festival of dark audio here on Radio Drama Revival. Year number four. Of course, we are doing this all to um, promote our Halloween performance uh, called Transcontinental Terror, the first ever six-hour internet broadcast going from east to west across the world to on a train of rickety terror that stops at each um, location where they can find a dramatist um, of a certain nature um, for Halloween night. All original programming by some of the greatest groups out there. Um, the case, and so we've been featuring them each week on Radio Drama Revival for the last few weeks. You've heard from Wireless Theater Company. You've heard from Electric Vicuna. You've heard from Final Room Productions. And you're about to hear from Chatterbox Audio Theater. Once upon a time, there was a king. No, no, there wasn't. There was no king, for there was no governing rule beyond one's own conscience. There was, however, a very, very sad, sad carpenter by the name of Geppetto. His sadness was so great that it could only be assuaged with whiskey and madness. He had a light once, when his wife, pregnant with their son, was still alive, when they together dreamt of the boy's birth and how they would together raise him into manhood. But, as is the way in such tales, the creator took from him his wife and his son, leaving him widowed, childless, and alone. And he became very very sad, and his sadness, as is so often the case with such woes, transformed into contempt for God. Chatterbox Audio Theater presents Pinocchio, based on Carlo Collati's original text, adapted for adults by Kyle Hatley. Book One, Between God and Evil. Chapter One, How It Was that Geppetto killed his pain with a block of wood. Snow fell on the small town where Geppetto lived, and an eerie silence fell with it, except for two riffraffs on Main Street making snowballs near Geppetto's sad, decrepit dwelling. 
Are you sure about this, Manny? Absolutely. It's like a tradition. I, I, I don't know. Don't tell me you're scared, Carlo. I'm not scared. It just seems mean. Mean? He's the one that's mean. He deserves it. He's the meanest old son of a bitch anyone ever knew. I'm just saying his wife and child died. Wouldn't you be mean, too? Bad things happen. Doesn't give someone the right to be a fucking bastard. Bad things change people. That's all I'm saying. I heard he spit in Father Maroney's face, Carlo. Is that true? That's what I heard. Is your snowball good and hard? Yeah, it's gonna hurt. That's the point. Okay, Carlo, you stay here, and I'll knock on his shop door. Then I'll run over there, and he comes to the door, both of us will hurl them at him, and the second you throw it, you run that way, and I'll run the other way. Why can't we run together? If we split up, he won't chase us. You think he's gonna chase us? He might. Really? Don't worry, he'll be too drunk to catch us. Let's go. Who's there? Oh, God damn it. <coughs> Hello? Now! Oh, God! Stop! Run! <laughs> the two boys, Manny and Carlo, did exactly as planned and ran in opposite directions. Manny giggled all the way around the block, but Carlo, Carlo's guilt slowed him to a stop. <laughs> The young boy huffed and puffed plumes of thick breath into the frosty air. An overwhelming weight fell upon him as he thought of what he had just done. So, without thinking too hard about it, he turned around and walked back towards the old man. Carlo found Geppetto collapsed, holding his face in his hands. Steam poured through the old man's fingers into the air like a dying furnace. As he moved even closer, perhaps too close now... He could see swirls of red drippings falling to the earth in hot, red wine drops, contrasting beautifully, but sadly, on the stark white snow beneath him. Carlo took the image in with great sadness. He felt compelled to apologize. Perhaps the old man might forgive him. Perhaps what the old man needed was an act of kindness. So many people in the town had ignored him for years. They'd written him off as a monster. But this was no monster, Carlo thought. This was a sad, beaten old man in the snow, holding his face. Snow fell unapologetically on him, careless of the scene. Perhaps, Carlo thought, all the old man needed was a connection. Excuse me, sir. Um, I wanted to... I've come to apologize. My friend and I, we... Well, it was wrong what we did to you. I'm sorry. What did you say? I'm sorry. At once, Geppetto violently seized the boy by his shirt and yanked him close. Sorry? Yes, sir. You're sorry? Yes, sir. His eyes were watery and red. He smelled of whiskey and smoke. His teeth were browning and broken. His old eyes fixed dangerously on young Carlos. You broke my glasses. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, sir. Your friend. Manny. He was right to run. <laughs> but you, I ought to strap you down to my work table and skin you alive. Please, sir. I'm, I'm so sorry. I take it back. Take what back? The throw in the snowball. I'm, I'm sorry. Geppetto pulled young Carlo so close to his face, the fog from their collective breath dizzied their vision. Once in the present, nothing can be taken back. Every action, every decision matters. Nothing can be taken back. What's your name? Carlo, sir. As you lie on your deathbed, Carlo, 
looking back on your life, looking back for comfort in memory, I want you to remember my face when I say these words to you. I hate you. And I will never forgive your actions. Your apology means nothing to me, Carlo. And I pray that my hatred for you keeps you from the gates of heaven. The old man released young Carlo. Go. Get out of here. Get out of here! The young boy ran crying into the white night. The old man lifted his eyes from the ground to the young boy running into the darkness. He wiped his eyes with his old thumb. He rubbed out the collected blood and snot with his shirt sleeve and cleaned off his bleeding lip with his other hand. Snow fell softly on his face. Small, icy stings that made his eyes water again. My glasses. The old man turned back towards his dwelling to find his glasses before the snow enveloped them. The light from the porch lamp shone harshly across the snowy porch in one solid triangular glow. He took one step back towards the house and tripped painfully to the ground once again. He shot up angrily to see what had taken him down. Half in the light and half in the darkness was a humongous wedge of wood covered and camouflaged by the snow. He stared at the oddly shaped wedge and looked around. The wood piles out back, he thought. Well, where the hell did you come from? He stepped towards the wedge and kicked at it with his feet. He looked around. Nothing but snow and darkness. The wedge lay belly up, and he thought, strangely, that it might be looking at him. Odd thing to think, considering this large wedge of wood had no particular features to suggest that it might be indeed looking at him. Nonetheless, it made him feel as though it were. He remembered his glasses and immediately reinstated his search. On his knees, sifting through the snow, he strained to find his spectacles. It was getting colder, and the snow was falling harder. After 30 minutes and 10 frozen fingers, Geppetto sat up, shaking his angry head. I must find my glasses. The old man stood up to walk back towards the house when he spotted the wedge of wood. A tiny twig jutting out from its sides seemed to be pointing at something. Or was it just his aging eyes mixing up what was really there? He stepped back towards the house and stopped. He turned and looked once more on the wedge of wood. Are you pointing at something? Geppetto hobbled towards the direction the twig was pointing and scanned the area. And there, outside the lamp's stark light, cradled by snow, sat the old man's spectacles. I'll be damned. The old man closed off the cold world with his heavy homemade front door, locked it and latched it, and carried the giant wedge of wood across the room, plopping it heavily on his work table. His gray eyes, magnified through his spectacles, concentrated on his strange discovery. I get the feeling that you keep looking at me. Geppetto's home was also his shop, a fireplace with a mantle. Atop the mantle were whittled pieces of wood in the shape of children playing, placed around a picture of his wife. The mantle was literally covered in these whittlings. Some had fallen off over time and landed on the wood floor beneath. Little arms and legs, broken from their bodies, still lying there, ignored and unrescued. Geppetto had carved these children out of wood and gave them a home there next to his wife. Some would fall to their little wooden deaths, 
Some would stay safely near the picture of his beautiful wife. On the other side of the room was his workshop, which consisted of all the expected tools of a carpenter, saws, hammers, an axe, a measuring stick, nails, etc. But above the shop area, on a shelving unit from one entire side of the room to the other, lie a thick blue blanket, several blankets, in fact, that were covering objects beneath it. Geppetto stared at whatever must have been beneath those blankets. He wiped his bloody nose again with his shirt sleeve and gazed up at this shelf. After a moment, his eyes moved from the objects under the blue blanket down to the wedge of wood resting on his work table. He seemed to be working something out in his old brain. His eyes seemed excited as he flicked them back and forth from the wedge to the shelf. After a while, his long gray eyebrows lost their sharpness and rested sadly on his forehead. Finally, he sighed a sad sigh and said, Never mind. Geppetto moved towards his bed, which separated the shop from his living quarters. He sat down near his pillow and leaned over to open a nearby cabinet. He pulled from it a whiskey bottle. He unplugged the cork and put the bottle to his lips, and he drank deeply. His body warmed. Again, he dragged his shirt sleeve across his bloody nose, which left a red streak along his forearm and bicep. He drank another deep drink as he looked, once more, at the strange wedge of wood across the room on his table. After a moment, he walked, bottle in hand, to the mantel. His gray eyes met with every single whittled creation as he passed by them, studying their existence, their presence, their details with pride. He did this until his eyes landed softly on the picture of his wife. The wrinkles on his face seemed forever burned into frowns. All of them sagged with gravity towards the ground, except for when he looked on his wife's picture. For when he did this, the frowns turned upside down, straining, it seemed, against the natural order of things. His lips perked at their corners. Even his eyes smiled. And if any living being could see him in these precious moments, they'd never recognize him. The fire in his fireplace was dying. The wood pile out back was in the cold, and now that he was already drunk, his apathy had set in. He looked across the room at the strange wedge of wood and took a deep drink and set the bottle on a lamp table. Stepping away from the fireplace and mindlessly crushing one of his many fallen figurines of children, he moved towards his workshop. His steps were awkward now because his balance was off. A piece of the wooden child he stepped on stuck to his shoe, causing him to stumble. He fell with an unpleasant thud and heard a crunch in his face. Cross-eyed and dizzy, he sat up, putting a finger to his nose, and felt a sharp pain. He picked his old body up off the floor and hobbled to the mirror above the sink, which was just beneath the shelf with the blue blanket. His nose, it seemed, was pulsating, throbbing and swelling, he had broken it again, this humble narrator says again, because legend has it that old Geppetto's nose had been broken every day of his life since the death of his wife and child. And as humble a narrator as this narrator is, one might assign a metaphorical significance with such a detail, but one need not worry. Things break every day in the wake of a life, broken or unbroken. 
It's how we go about fixing these broken things that keeps hope alive. Or so this humble narrator believes. Anyhow, the old man pinched his nose with his index finger and his thumb, and he closed his eyes and drew a deep breath in preparation and fixed his broken nose again. Continuing, the old man grabbed the heavy wedge of wood and hobbled towards the dying fire in the fireplace. He sighed as he leaned his old body over to dump the heavy wedge onto the grate. He slowly righted himself with a hand behind his back to align his vertebra correctly and backed up into his old chair. Sawdust plumed when his old fanny hit the cushion, which coughed a quiet, dusty gasp. Another sigh, and the old man grabbed the bottle of whiskey from the table lamp and drank a heavy, heavy drink. What the? Now, there are many strange and unexplainable things in this world. Things that play devilish tricks on our senses. Things that fool even the most learned man. For instance, a draft of wind howling through the crack in the door. Aging wood expanding and contracting in fluctuating temperatures. The hoot of an owl. Such things scare us all. But how would you react when the wedge of wood you had just plopped into the fireplace started screaming? What the devil? Please, please, it's burning me. It's burning me. Please help. Oh, evil spirit. Get out of my house. Please, sir, it burns. Go back to hell, spirit. Go back to hell. Please, sir, it hurts. These things do not happen. They do not happen. A wedge of wood is not speaking to me. Sir, please, I beg you. No. What do you mean, you helped me find my spectacles? You're a piece of wood. <coughs> I, was, I was only trying to help. The old man stood. Uncertain, he looked around his dwelling to be sure this wasn't another cruel trick being played on him by the town's kids. <coughs> Please, sir, it hurts really, really bad. Are you the devil? Be straight with me, are you? Don't tell me that you don't know what the devil is when you are clearly that which speaks through fire. Please, it's burning me. It wasn't with the intention to rescue that made Geppetto rush toward the fireplace and pluck the talking wedge of wood from its flames, but to examine further the culprit of this absurd, and might this narrator say elaborate, scenario. Was it just another prank? Or... And though he loathed the thought of another hateful prank, was it something he feared to be most true? His own madness. He grabbed the fireplace grabber and clinched the narrowest piece of the wedge, and he rolled it out from the flames onto the concrete base of the fire pit. Smoke puffed and the wood's skin sizzled. Geppetto backed up from the smoking, sizzling, talking piece of wood and held the log grabber as a weapon. Who are you? What are you doing here? How is it you can speak? I don't know. Before this moment, I was just a piece of wood. But when you put me in the fire, 
I could talk. What do you mean you were just a piece of wood? What are you now? I'm whatever you want to make out of me, I suppose, sir. Geppetto lowered the log grabber and squinted at this talking piece of wood. Whatever do you mean by that? I mean, isn't that what you do with things like me? Make things? Yeah, or burn them. No! Please! Please don't burn me! Why shouldn't I? Because, sir, I think I'm here to save you. Chapter 2 how it was that Geppetto defined God and evil. The old man slammed the bulky wedge of wood onto his work table. Sawdust billowed like a brief storm cloud and then vanished as it settled around what might resemble an operating table. This humble narrator might use the illusion of the operating table for no other reason than to paint the portrait of a doctor and his patient. But that doesn't quite do it, does it? Perhaps we will take it a step further and talk of an artist and his medium. Yes, that might best illustrate that which is about to take place, which might best be allegorized by the image of a painter and his blank canvas. Every stroke eliminates the pretense and possibility of all other strokes. Hence, every stroke is a stroke of violence. In other words, each stroke deliberately murders the potential of another, lest it be accidentally complementary to the preceding stroke. After all, art is fertile with accident. And by stroke, this narrator means to say each chisel strike. Ouch! That hurts! Quiet. Geppetto was a master carpenter the kind of genius artist that might have achieved worldwide fame had he not willed his own life down to a mere splinter. He worked feverishly and without sleep or break or drink or food or thought. Like Michelangelo, he could look at a solid object and sculpt it without stopping into a fashioned work of perfect replication. So lifelike, it might, maybe, just might, house a soul. <laughs> He toiled for days. The work, which began with an axe, was now down to the old man's smallest chisel stick, file, and breath. You might very well be my greatest creation. Can I see? Not yet, my love, not yet. When the wood was finished, the old man dashed to the cabinets and retrieved a collection of paints. He sat them down next to his nearly completed creation. What used to be a wedge of wood was now a beautifully sculpted marionette in the shape of a little boy. As the wood transformed, so, it seemed, did Geppetto. His appearance, his demeanor, his sadness, all of it transformed as his creation was realized before his very own aging gray eyes. Geppetto dipped the tip of the brush into the well of black paint and drew two brilliant ovals he cleaned the brush and dipped it now into a white well and filled in the ovals. Again, he cleaned the brush and this time dipped the brush into a blue well. He colored in two hauntingly beautiful circles within the white ovals and thus created the color of his creation's eyes. And upon doing so, the creation's eyes blinked. Oh, well, how about that? The old man continued painting the features of his creation. What are you doing to me now? <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> you called yourself me. So? 
Well, it's, it's as if you think you are alive. But I am alive, aren't I? I don't know, little one. I honestly don't know. But you, you sure as hell look it. Well, I feel as though I'm real. <laughs> Wonderful, my boy. Wonderful. Well, what's funny now? Cogito ergo sum. Cogito ergo sum? It's Latin. I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. René Descartes said that. He was a philosopher. What's a philosopher? <laughs> the old man painted a perfect mouth that gave his creation a freedom that rivaled sight and sound. For now, he could speak as people do. He was finally complete. All of his features were drawn and therefore intact, except for one last bit. Oh, but you don't have a nose. A nose? It's this thing here. The old man pointed to the center of his own face. That's a nose? But we won't draw that, for it will need to have dimension. But, oh, no. What's the matter? I haven't any more wood. I've whittled it all away. It's okay, sir. I'm sure I can manage without a nose. What? No, no, my boy, you don't understand. The world out there is a cruel, cruel place. If you were to venture out without a... No, 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 no. It's, it's unmentionable. Unmentionable? Yes. Oh, here we are. Well, this could do. What is it, sir? One of the legs of this old table. I could whittle it down for you. The old man grabbed his axe from the wall and... He was on his way to completing his marionette boy. Geppetto transferred his talking doll from the workstation to the sofa, where they might be warmed by the still-glowing, still-pitiful fire. He carved a bit here and chiseled a bit there. All the while, these bits, these tiny bits of wood, fell quietly to the floor below, casting a ring of blonde shavings below him and a halo of dust above. The puppet asked the old man question after question, and Geppetto, furiously but artfully whittling, answered his curious creation. What is feeling? It's when your senses are put to use. Senses? There are five of them. Sight, you see, belongs to your eyes. Sound belongs to your ears. Taste belongs to your tongue. Touch belongs to your skin. And smell, well, smell belongs to your nose, which I am fashioning for you now. And what is God? God. Yes, sir. God is man's creation. It doesn't exist. Is that true? Well, I'm not sure. Or at least I haven't felt him in a long, long time. Oh. What is love? That's enough questions for now, little one. The old man carved the leg of his table down to a smooth, cylindrical nub. He sanded it to perfection and blew away the bits. There. You see that? Is this? That is your nose, my little one. Wow! Now we must attach it, and you will be whole. The old man lifted the small puppet off the dusty sofa and carried him back to the workstation. Geppetto's old legs seemed to have a hop-skip to them now as he began rummaging once more through his workshop, this time for a hammer and nails. He gathered the objects and pranced back towards the small puppet. 
His eyes shone brightly through his wrinkles. They beamed, despite how glossy and old they were. He smiled at his creation as he lined the cylindrical nose up with the center of the face. Now, this may hurt a bit. He thumbed the nose in position and pinched the small pin nail at an angle and raised his chisel hammer and tacked in the first nail. Ow! Ouch! That hurts! One down, one to go. Almost done. Is that... is that... Pain. What you're feeling is pain. Does it go away? Not always, I'm afraid. Pain varies. Hold still. This is the last one. Ow! 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 There we are. All done. Now that wasn't so bad. The old man froze. He stared at the marionette. His creation, his boy, was... Beautiful. You, my boy, are beautiful. He held the puppet in front of the red rusted mirror. Do you see... The puppet stared at itself. It reached its little wooden hand out and touched the looking glass. Its mouth slacked with awe. That's me? That's you, son. Son. I am your father, and you are my son. Father. Son. (laughs) Yes. And now, my boy, I shall name you. I shall name you Pinocchio. Chapter 3. How it was that Geppetto murdered the Blue Fairy. The old man slept soundly. His snoring filled the room. But snoring was nothing new for Geppetto. Sleep, however, was. For tonight... He slept soundly for the first time in decades. Deep, conscience-killing sleep. For you see, the old man endured night terrors every single night since, well, how it happened is a story so detailed that this narrator feels inclined to share only a portion of its heartbreaking occurrence. So, in brief, his nightmares were on the theme of his late wife and child. Memory dreams, if you will. As it happened is how he still dreamt it. His wife screaming as she pushed with all her might, the way her face changed as she pushed and strained, making her unrecognizable in that moment, monstrous in that moment, as she gritted her teeth and lost color in her skin, how the doctor panicked when her heart slowed to an alarming rate, how her eyes dulled when she finally delivered their son. But what she had delivered, sadly, was only something that her body had rejected. The child came into the world cold, small, gray, and still. A boy. And when the doctor said to Geppetto, I'm sorry about your son, his young smile curled as he turned to his wife. I'm sorry, she said to him. And then the light from her eyes faded thinly, slowly, quietly. He climbed into bed with his still wife and held their gray, still child between them. His heart, between the three of them, was the only one beating. Ah, Maria! 
The old man sat upright in his bed, cold sweat beating down his old face. He immediately covered his face with his hands, rubbing his old, bleary eyes. Sir, are you all right? The old man looked over at the fire and could see his creation at the couch, sitting in front of the dim, flickering light. Call me father. Yes, father. I'm, I'm fine. You should be sleeping, little one. Big day, you know. First day of school tomorrow. The first day of school is the first day of an education, which is the first step towards becoming a man. A man, Father? Now, that's what children soon become, if they study and lead a good life. Well, then that's what I want to be when I grow up. What do you think, miss? Uh, who are you talking to, Pinocchio? Oh, just my new friend. The old man stiffened, his eyes alert. He quickly scanned the room. What new friend? Me, I'm afraid. You. Hello, Geppetto. From the shadowy corner of Geppetto's workstation appeared a luminous woman in a sultry, almost translucent blue gown, her blonde hair draped in curls down to the small of her exposed back. Her womanly features beneath her dress proudly and seductively showed through, teasing the eye as she moved in and out of the shadows. She wore a beautiful pearl necklace that hung between her breasts down to her hips, which were also exposed through the dress's otherworldly design. You two know each other? Pinocchio, go outside and play. Uh, but it's the middle of the night. Do not argue with me, son. Yes, Father. He's beautiful. He's mine. I'm afraid not, old friend. The woman in blue moved closer to Geppetto. She seemed to radiate a brilliant light of soft blues and purples that hung in the air and pulsated gently and magically as she spoke. You were there when he took them from me. I saw you. I know you did. And now you're here to take Pinocchio away. I am. Why? Because you cannot play God, Geppetto. You cannot create life. Only he can. I thought it was God who had given this to me. I thought this was his act of contrition for what he did to me. I thought this was the answer to my prayers. What prayers, Geppetto? He hasn't heard any from you. Pinocchio is a miracle, a gift. He was no gift. He was a wrong that must now be righted. Tell me... How is it that a wedge of wood has come to be my son? It was meant to be burned, Geppetto. It was meant to be destroyed. He's my son! He's an abomination. He is not your son. Your son died many years ago. I don't understand. Some things are meant to die, some to live, but some things are meant to be burned. He has life. He has a chance. A chance to do what? To, to experience what it means to be alive, to be human, to have life. You too had that chance, Geppetto. And what have you done with it? You've been trying to create life with your dolls and your figurines and idle hands, Geppetto. You should have done more with your life. My life was pain. Then you should have done more with your pain. I was robbed by you. I was robbed by God! You were not robbed, Geppetto. You took them from me! I was robbed of my wife! Of my child! 
You took them from me, and now you've come to take Pinocchio? You've come to take everything I have? Why? Why does he do this to me? There are penalties for exacting work only he can manage. The old man's knees weakened, his old face contorted. A rage began to cook silently within him. God creates man, Geppetto. Man cannot create himself. His eyes left the gaze of the woman in blue and fell to the floor. Tears poured from his face and his cheeks grew warm. The atmosphere silenced. He could hear the hum of madness brewing inside him to the beat of his charging heart. Such a sin will not go, cannot go unpunished. Of the materials the old man thrashed to the floor, a chisel knife glimmered beneath him. His eyes narrowed on the sharp instrument. You knew this would come? Yes. You knew I would come? Yes. The old man fell to his knees and steadily reached for the blade on the floor. The woman in blue gracefully moved toward him, as if to comfort him. He's my son. He's no one's son, Geppetto. He's not of God born. Neither was my wife's child. And he was mine, just as Pinocchio is mine. Only God is the giver of life. Is he not also the taker of it? He has his plan, and it is not for us to challenge its design. The old man clasped the chisel firmly in his hand. His knuckles whitened with his grip. Give me your son, Geppetto. Tell God I'm sorry. But he's going to have to take him from my cold, dead hands. The old man drove his chisel knife deep into her neck. Blood gushed gloriously, poetically, from the open wound. The magical, pulsating lights of blues and purples surrounding her began to morph into deep reds, grainy blacks, and silvering oranges. Blood rained between the blue fairy and the old man until her lights began to dim. He made me in his own image. He created me as I have created my son. He brought me into this world just as I have brought Pinocchio into this world with my own goddamned hands. The old man loomed over the woman's body, pushing the chisel deeper and deeper into her throat. He can take me out of his world. The old man pulled the chisel out of her neck and raised it high once more. Please don't do this. But he will not take my son out of it. Japan. And he stuck her with it again. And again. He is my son. And again. Stay away from him. Stay away from my son. Can you hear me now, God? Stay away from him. Stay away from him. The woman in blue lay slain on the cold wooden floor of Geppetto's workshop. Her beautiful body, her porcelain skin now torn, frayed, twisted, slashed, and mangled. Blood bubbled and ran uninterrupted down her limp corpse and onto the planked wood floor below, trickling like rain out of gutters. Father! But 
It's okay, son. It's okay. She'll never bother us again. Who... Who was she? The Blue Fairy. Behind the old man's shop, Pinocchio watched Geppetto stab the frozen earth, chipping away at a deep hole. The old man stopped for a moment to catch his breath. The wooden puppet sat at the ledge of the grave, peering down at his father. What's the matter, my son? Is this hole for the pretty lady inside the house? Yes, it is. Are we trying to hide her? Yes, we are. Why? Because if anyone ever found out what I did to her, it would be bad. Bad? Yes. For whom? For you, Pinocchio. Why? Because she wanted to take you away from me. Why? Because, because, son, God didn't make you. I thought God didn't exist. If you let him into your heart, if you believe and have faith, he exists. Is he bad? No. Is he good? He's supposed to be. What is he, then? He's possessive. Is that why we're hiding from him? Oh, you cannot hide from God. He's everywhere. And in some ways, he is within everything. You see, my boy, we're either alone or we are not. God creates so that we might have love for others. And if we have love for others, they might, in turn, have love for us. Why do we need love from others? So that we might love ourselves. If we know how to love ourselves, then we will never be alone. Do you love yourself, Father? I believe I'm beginning to. Because you're feeling less alone? Yes, son. Would God be mad about what you did to the pretty lady? God would say that what I did to her was evil. Evil? Evil is the opposite of good. The woman in blue, she came to take me away from you because you made me, not God? Yes. Does that mean that God doesn't love me? Yes, it does, my boy. Yes, it does. The old man buried the blue fairy in the cold ground, and the snow blanketed the disturbed earth, vanishing all evidence of the deus ex machina. The old man took Pinocchio inside, where they sat by the sad fire, and he told the wooden puppet about the world and its cruelness. He told Pinocchio of right and wrong, of good and evil, and of God. Father, why are you so angry with God? There is much to learn of the difference between God and evil, my son. In the world, well, it has a way of teaching you that difference. You have tragedies of your own, heartaches of your own, and loss. You will have loss. The old man's eyes became glassy and sad. 
He pushed his lips together to squeeze away his emotion. He stared deeply into the tiny orange flame in the fireplace and drank a healthy drink of his whiskey. In a single day, he took everything from me. One day, I, I had it all. I had a beautiful wife. She had long black hair, green eyes like emeralds, a smile that warmed your soul. And funny, <laughs> she could always make you laugh. And she was pregnant with that. But alas, he alone is not responsible. Mankind has failed, you see. In the face of good and evil, mankind has failed time and time again. But you, my boy, my son, you will be equipped to be a good boy, an honest boy. But I'm not a real boy, Father. You have the same start as the rest of us. A blank canvas. How you move through this world and how it moves through you will affect who you become. Just as real boys do. You will be tempted. You will be treated horribly. You will experience the ugliest sides of human nature. But you will also find in life the beautiful, the magical, and the lovely. Just remember what I have taught you. Time for bed, my boy. You have your first day of school tomorrow. You need your rest. Chapter 4. How it was that Geppetto lost Pinocchio to the world. The next morning, Geppetto awoke before the sun rose. He donned his clothes and looked around at his shabby home. This ratty environment is unfit for a young boy to grow up in. And for the first time in many years, the old man began to clean his aged, dusty, moldy home. He swept and mopped and dusted and scrubbed and threw out old junk that he'd collected or neglected over the decades. And by the time Pinocchio woke, the household was transformed. Wow! Oh, good, you're up. Uh, hurry now, you'll be late for school. The old man was now on one of the shop ladders, dusting down old cobwebs from the slatted roof. He was leaning dangerously beyond the ladder's reach to clean out the corner where the shelf with the blue blanket draped. He poked furiously at the out-of-reach corner with a long broom. Oh, I packed your lunch. It's on the work table. What about my books? Well, there's money on the table. Stop by Joe Hanningmeyer's bookstore on the way. That should be enough to cover the cost of your lesson books for the rest of the year. I'm scared, Father. What is it you're afraid of? The world. Geppetto stopped his reach for a moment and turned awkwardly in his balance to meet eyes with his wooden puppet. I didn't mean to scare you, son. The world can be a fine place when there are fine people who inhabit it. What about the ones who aren't fine? Stay clear of them, my boy. Always stay very clear of them. But how will I know how to trust someone, Father? You won't, son. You'll have to learn the same way the rest of us do. Because some things, you got to learn the hard way. Geppetto offered a sad smile at Pinocchio. The wooden puppet smiled back. The old man turned awkwardly on his ladder to resume dusting the corner. 
In doing so, his foot slipped off the rung and... Oh, oh, ah, ah! Arthur! Oh, it's, it's all right. I just... I just lost my footing. I'm, I'm all right. The old man picked himself up, dusted himself off, and noticed that Pinocchio was up at the shelf with the blue blanket. But the blanket had fallen along with Geppetto. The wooden boy moved in for a closer look, and what he saw was surprising, to say the least. On the uncovered shelf that ran the length of the entire workshop lay hundreds of little wooden puppets, just like Pinocchio, all of them resting limp and lifeless along the shelf. I'm not the first. It's not what you think, Pinocchio. After she died, after they died, I, I began making puppets, dolls, figurines. The old man shuffled to the mantle above the fireplace. He stared at the little wooden creations. His old eyes soaked them in, their precision, their delightful expressions, their exquisite detail. I began whittling life from inanimate objects to find her face again, to find his. I looked in everything I saw. Oh, blocks of wood, new posts, rock, marble. I became a bit of a sculptor, I suppose. I became good, no, great at creating things from nothing. His eyes fell sadly softly onto a portrait of his wife. Pinocchio's gaze fell once more on all the wooden puppets. Are they my brothers? They're wood, that's all. I made them and they just sat there. You put strings on them and they move, but only because I moved the strings. They're just wood, that's all. But I am wood. You're my son, Pinocchio, and there are no strings on you. The wooden puppet looked at his arms and legs, and back to the old man. There are no strings on me. Well, you're, you're going to be late for school. Yes, Father. It'll come straight home after and tell me all about it. I will. The puppet collected his things and headed for the door. Pinocchio. Yes, Father. Tell the world hello for me while you're out there, will you? Yes, Father. The puppet stepped onto the snow-covered street. The sun beamed down gloriously, and Pinocchio winced. He squinted to see, and slowly, the world revealed itself. And it was beautiful. A marketplace, just down the road, filled with people buying fish, knives, fruit, meat, and blankets. Kids running and playing towards the schoolhouse. There was a man drinking from a carafe and yelling obscenities at passersby. He even grabbed a woman's breast. She slapped him and a policeman punched the man. Pinocchio's eyes widened at the scene. Another man walked with a cane. His leg was bent at a peculiar angle. A group of men carrying a large cut of a tree crossing the street yelled at the man with the funny leg, for he was moving too slow. There was also an older woman praying on the steps of something called a church. She was calling up to the sky, asking for God's help. Pinocchio remembered what his father had told him about God. Another woman, this one in tattered, worn-down clothes, asked a man in finer clothes for money. He spit in her face and asked her to keep away from him. She went to another man to ask, and he backed away. Her face was weird. Her skin looked rough and jagged, like it was losing hold of her skull. 
She came towards Pinocchio and he froze. Little boy, do you have money you could spare to feed a leper? Money? A coin even, just a single coin. The puppet dug into his pocket and pulled out the money Geppetto had given him and looked at it in his hand, and then again to the old beggar for approval. Like this? Oh, my, all of it. I'm supposed to buy books for school with it. Well, my boy, you could buy many books with that sum. You wouldn't mind parting with a small portion now, would you? To help feed a helpless leper like myself. Well, I suppose not. The wooden puppet dropped a single coin into the old leper's hand. Bless you, child. Bless you. Pinocchio panicked. He searched his memory for what his father had taught him about social interaction. Have a nice day, ma'am. Oh, I will, my child. I will. The old woman turned from Pinocchio and hobbled straight for the ale merchant just down the street. So this is the world? Hello, world! Oh, and my father, his name is Geppetto. He told me to tell you hello! The puppet smiled and began walking down the street. He located the bookstore Geppetto had mentioned. Johannemeyer Books and Publishing. The puppet climbed the steps of the old decrepit bookstore and entered. The place was filled with books in tall, leaning stacks. The wooden puppet walked through columns and columns of old, tattered, worn books stacked to the ceiling. Gazing up and down at the forest of stories around him, Pinocchio failed to notice a particularly sharply dressed man gazing down at him. Well, hello there. Hello, sir. My, you are something else, aren't you? I don't know what you mean, sir. I mean, you are... <laughs> my, my, my. What are you, little one? Why, I'm just a boy. Is that right? Yes, sir. Well, what's your name, little boy? Pinocchio. Pinocchio. The lavishly dressed man knelt to the puppet's level and looked him dead in his wooden blue eyes. Why, you're made of wood. Well, everyone's different, sir. Is that right? That's what my father says. We're all different. Instead of flesh, I'm made of wood. Well, my boy, what if I was to tell you that you are not different? What if I was to tell you that there is a place where little boys look just like you? Oh, really? Would I lie? I hope not. My father says that lying leads to a poor life. But you don't look very poor, mister. What is your name, sir? Daudry. Dr. Kenneth Daudry. A doctor? So you fix people, you're a healer. You can say that, sure. Well, I guess I can believe a doctor. Not all doctors, my boy, but you can believe me. So, what are you doing here in this bookstore? Oh, it's my first day of school. I'm here to purchase books. School? Yes, sir, Mr. Daudry. Oh, I'm sorry, doctor. I want to grow up and be successful and see the world and give all my money away to people who need it. Because I'll make enough to take care of myself and the whole world. You will, will you? Yes, sir. I want to be a doctor, too. My father is a carpenter. He makes things. I want to be able to preserve things that are made. I'm a good son, too. He's very proud of me. He said so. The good doctor's eyes fixed tighter on the puppet, who was so pleased to be conversing with someone again. Then, Daudry put his hand on the puppet's shoulder. What if I were to tell you that you didn't need schooling to be successful? Well, 
But my father says... School is a good, well-intentioned enterprise, sure, for ordinary boys. But for extraordinary boys such as yourself, well, the sky is the limit, Pinocchio. The sky is the limit. I don't know. Oh, I mean no harm, my boy. No harm at all. And there are others. Like me, you say. Oh, yes. Many others. Just like you. The puppet felt something in his stomach that made him uneasy. His eyes left Daudry's gaze briefly to ponder the scenario. Well, my father told me that men often play tricks on you. Your father is a wise soul, my boy. He is right to warn you of such things. But he is teaching you of manly things when you are only a child. I may be a child now, but I want to be a great man one day. But these are the years, my boy, to be a child. To run and play and do childish things. I don't much care for childish things, sir. I mean, that is to say, I will certainly indulge in my years as they come. But I can't wait for them to find me a grown and successful man. <laughs> Well, they say it doesn't happen overnight, my boy, but I'm afraid it does. It does for us all. What do you mean, sir? You hang on to childhood as long as you can. Because one day, the sun sets on the child's land, and by sunrise you're holding an adult's hand. And unfortunately, you realize you're already in far too deep and must continue on a man. Is that you, Daudry? I thought I told you to stay the fuck out of my establishment, you bloody wretch. The shopkeeper of the bookstore spotted the old, sharply-dressed doctor and loomed over the scene with a beet-red face and a wrinkly, furrowed brow. He waited for Daudry to make a move. The puppet was surprised and quite alarmed by the sudden change of mood. Well, well. Wilson Johanningmeyer, how are you today, sir? Get out of my shop. Daudry, before I call on the police. I was merely helping this boy understand something. I'm sure you were, you loony. Every boy I see you talking to in this store ends up missing. I've reported it to the city council, and I've reported it to the police. You've no evidence against me, Wilson. You've no evidence to support such an absurd accusation, such a reckless accusation. I don't need evidence. I can smell your intentions a mile away. Now clear out! My boy. Would you be so kind as to pardon me a moment so I might have a word with Mr. Johanningmeyer? Not at all, sir. The puppet watched as Daudry stood proudly and slowly up from his haunch. He moved towards the shopkeep ever so smoothly. It was as if he glided rather than stepped. Daudry put his hand on Wilson's shoulder, but the shopkeeper slapped it off. He couldn't make out the whispers as the two moved further away towards the back of the store. Pinocchio felt a sudden panic. He had told Daudry that he would remain put while the two old men chatted, but all Pinocchio wanted was to purchase his books and trot off to school. The puppet leaned forward to peer around the stacks of books and bookshelves to catch a glimpse of the two old men. Nothing. Silence. Then he heard a slight struggle, something that sounded like breathing, but muffled. Then a quiet, Soft thud. And again, silence. Well, my boy, where were we? Daudry had surprised Pinocchio from behind. He was wiping his hands with a handkerchief from his breast pocket. 
The white handkerchief, however, changed colors before the puppet's eyes, from white to red. Your cloth changes colors. Yes. Well, only on days when I'm hot. Is everything all right, sir? Of course. Mr. Johanningmeyer was under the impression that I favor small boys in the pursuit of lucrative opportunities. Why would he think that, sir? Because I don't favor him. <laughs> and just then, the school bells rang. Oh no, that's the school bell! I need to find Mr. Johanningmeyer to purchase my books. I'll be late. Or you can come with me. I really shouldn't, sir. My father told me I should go to school. How would you like to have money enough to care for your father so that he will never have to worry again? Oh, I would want that more than anything, sir. Then come with me, my boy. Come with me. And I'll have enough to care for my father? May God strike me dead if I tell you a lie. And so, as is the way with such stories, the wooden boy grabbed the old man's hand and followed his lead out of the shop and onto Main Street. Just as they made their exit, a civilian off the street entered and began calling for Wilson, the shopkeeper. After a few minutes of calling for the old man, the civilian muttered a soft swear and made his exit. It would be hours, in fact, before Wilson Johanningmeyer's body would be discovered. The police would tell his wife and children that he was the victim of a robbery, though nothing, not a thing from his shop was stolen, except the truth. Chapter 5. How it was that Pinocchio met his first friend. Or, how it was that the good doctor Kenneth Daudry gave Pinocchio a place to stay. It seemed to the little wooden boy as though they'd been walking for hours. The sun had certainly changed its position in the sky, and the clouds began to clamor in. Not much farther now. Looks as though it will surely snow again, doesn't it? <sighs> if you say so, sir. The two continued walking a path that led them well out of the town and into the forest surrounding it. Pinocchio looked up at the towering trees, all of them tall, but hunched over inward, creating a sort of canopy. As they walked through the path, it grew darker. All those tall trees seemed to bend closer towards the ground, as if to get a better look at the strange boy walking beneath them. What are they? What? Those? Why, they're trees, boy. Haven't you ever seen a tree before? I sense a strange familiarity with them. Well, you are made of wood, aren't you? I like to think I'm made of my father. Aren't we all? The two had been walking for hours, deeper and deeper into the forest. So deep, in fact, the light from the sky was no longer visible. And the good Dr. Daudry pulled from his doctor bag a lantern. He struck a match and turned a knob. There was a slight hiss, which gave quick birth to a small but impressively luminous flame. The dark path was now visible within the proximity of the light. How much further, Dr. Daudry? Not much further, little one. Not much further at all. Did you hear that? Those are the owls of the forest. Terrible creatures, really. Why are they making that noise? It's scary! We have to pass through their territory. They won't harm you so long as you don't look or speak at them. And what happens if I do? 
Just then, Dr. Daudry stopped dead in his tracks, wheeled around to face the wooden puppet, and looked him sternly in the eye. Then they'll harm you. Understand? Yes, Dr. Daudry. Finally, the good doctor stood, turned, and resumed course. Pinocchio watched the man walk a ways ahead. Then, startled by the darkness, he rushed to join Daudry's side, once again in the protection of the lamplight. The whispers the boy heard seemed to intensify with each step they took. What are they saying? Lies. They whisper lies. Why do they do that, sir? Because they are deceitful creatures straight from hell, whose sole intent is to have you stray from the path. What path? The good doctor whirled around once more and grabbed the boy by his shoulder, shaking him. Why do you ask so many goddamn questions? Keep your mouth shut. Understand? Yes, sir. Not another word. The good doctor stood and turned back to the path and began walking. But this time, the wooden puppet stayed put. I want to go home now, sir. I do not wish to follow you any further. And with this, Daudry stopped dead in his tracks. He did not turn around to confront the boy, nor did he show any further signs of violence. In fact, the good doctor didn't say a word. The puppet stared up at him, terrified by the sudden silence. Sir? I said I do not wish to follow... I heard what you said, puppet. But it's like I said about having to become a man. While sun sets on the child's land, by sunrise you're holding an adult's hand. And unfortunately you realize you're already in too deep. Grab him! Two bodies suddenly leapt from the dark of the forest and snatched up the little puppet. Before he could scream for help, his mouth was stuffed and tied shut. Come on! It's just a wooden doll! His arms and legs were quickly bound until he was enveloped fully by net and rope. Daudry smiled devilishly and turned to continue walking. One of the body snatchers, a giant of a man, secured Pinocchio to a long rope by which he dragged the little puppet like a sack. Dirt, stones, and bristles tore into Pinocchio's wood, chipping it, scratching it, rattling his little wooden body as he tumbled along at a good distance behind. The other snatcher, a scrappy old woman, seemed to be mending a finger. Nice work, Creed. Uh, Thank you, sir. I thought he'd never (laughs) shut up. What's the matter with you, Song? The little fucker broke my finger. <laughs> you better shut your mouth, Creed. Or yeah, what? Or I'll knife you in your sleep, you fat fuck. Knock it off. Is everything in order for tonight? Yes, sir. Duncan is bringing his top buyers. The estate is clean. Define clean. Suitable for visitors, for buyers, for the rich and wealthy patrons we collect for. What else? Song was in charge of the cleaning. You fucking rat! I was in charge of arranging travel for the patrons. Silence! Whatever state it's in, better find resolve before nightfall. A clean house is the sign of an ordered mind. And so, the good doctor and his two servants traveled onward. The path, not further from here, opened up into a wide expansion of land, still canopied by the humongous trees. 
The puppet, dragging behind, wept in fear and had recalled all that his father had told him about the world and how he hadn't told him enough. In you go! Uh. Welcome to your new home, you little fucker. <laughs> Pinocchio, out of fear, kept his eyes shut. Finally, he peeked, and at the fright of seeing almost nothing, he opened them widely. It was dark, but there was light. On the walls, he could see torches jammed into silver grooves that lit poorly what appeared to be a series of cages differing in size and shape along a skinny brick corridor. Now that Creed was at a distance, there was stirring in these cages, especially the one next to Pinocchio. He could feel it. For the first time, the feeling of eyes you couldn't see watching you, staring at you. He closed his eyes again and began to cry. Hey. Hey, you. Boy. Yeah. Yes. Out of the darkness, in the cage next to him, he could see something. He could not quite make it out, but he could see something. Someone? Are you okay? I... I don't know. Where am I? We're in Daudry's dungeon, under his estate. What's your name? Pinocchio. What's yours? Jasper. Nice to meet you, Pinocchio. Nice to meet you, too. Why am I here? The same reason the rest of us are here. Pinocchio opened his eyes and looked at the cage next to him. A young boy, about his age, leaned into the light, and Pinocchio could see that this boy was made of porcelain, beautifully colored porcelain, but the top of his head was cracked and broken down to his eye. He looked quite scarred. Why? Why are we here? To be sold. Chapter 6 how it was that Geppetto met the Red Cricket. Geppetto, meanwhile, began building a bed for his new son. Sweat beaded and streamed down his wrinkly face and plopped coolly onto the frame he was now nailing together. A fire roared in the fireplace. His whiskey bottles sat unopened and he, for the first time in decades, removed the shutters from his windows. The light poured in and the atmosphere, like himself, was changed. And then... The old man paused his work and looked up at the door. Well, who the devil could that be? He set his tool on the work table and wiped his wet forehead with his even wetter forearm and moved cautiously towards the door. He peered through the door's looking hole and saw nothing. He pulled away and studied the door, waiting. Was he imagining that knock? Was he losing his mind? He had been working rather intensely. Open the door, Geppetto. He had heard the knock. And what a peculiar little voice on the other side of it. He peered once more through the looking hole and again saw nothing. I don't have to knock to enter, you know. I'm merely offering the courtesy. Who are you? I, I cannot see you. Let us just say I'm a friend. 
I have no friends. I know this. Want one? Uh, leave my doorstep, whoever you are. Certainly. However, if I do, you'll never find Pinocchio, is it? Pinocchio? Where is he? What have you done with him? But the old man saw nothing at his door. He stepped out of its frame and peered everywhere. His eyes darted up and down, left and right, and then... What? what? The devil? The tables had turned. The old man pounded on his front door, which had now locked him out of his own home. Open this door! Whoever you are, open this door! Just then, at that moment, the boys, Carlo and Manny, who had so abused him nights before, passed by. Look, look! The old man's gone mad! Looks as if he's locked out of his house. Quick, make another snowball. Manny, no! Leave him alone! What's the matter, Carlo? Scared of an old lunatic? I think we've harassed him enough, don't you? For Christ's sake, Carlo, when, when did you become such a sissy? Okay, I'm gonna throw it this time, and then we're gonna run. No, Manny, don't! <laughs> Manny laughed as Carlo covered his mouth, but the old man... We nailed him! Manny, shut up! He's not moving. Carlo took a step closer off the road and another step closer towards the old man's house. Jesus, Manny. He's not moving. Oh, it was a snowball, Carlo. He's fine. Manny's laughter slowed to a halt as he, too, began to realize what this might mean. We have to see if he's well or if... If he's... What? Dead? Oh, come on. He's, he's not dead. The boys watched his terribly still body. It lay there simply and without motive or motion. Oh, fuck, did we kill him? We have to go over there. I'm not going over there, no way! You throw the snowball, Manny, you're coming. No, no way, I say we get out of here before anyone sees. Carlo angrily grabbed Manny's arm and began pulling him towards Geppetto's still body. And you called me a sissy? You threw it, you're coming with me, let's go. Carlo, yanking Manny by the arm, sludged through the wet, deep snow. When they came upon the old man's still body, they cautiously peered down on him. His head, split open at the forehead, was spitting up blood. His mouth was slightly ajar, and a gash had formed that ran like a crag from his forehead to the top of his mouth where a tooth was hanging by a nerve. But soft, easy steam piped slowly out of his nostrils. Oh, Mary, Mother of God, is he... Is he dead? No. He's still breathing. How can you tell? Out of nowhere, the old man grabbed the two boys and began beating them. Help! Somebody help! Please, sir, please! It, it wasn't me! I, I didn't throw it! Help me! You think these pranks are funny? You think it amusing to harm an old man who just wants to be left alone? You're reckless in your ways, you little shits! You insult, you endanger, and you injure me. These petty pranks, these childish fucking games, they make monsters out of men. The old man lost his grip on Manny, who managed to kick himself free and run fast for the road, leaving Carlo bloody and alone. Help! Help, he's gone mad! But Geppetto did not soften his blows on poor Carlo. He pounded his knuckles deep into the small boy's flesh. The boy's defense began to wane. He managed to grab hold of the old man's face to push him further away. But the old man pushed back with surprising strength. 
Please, sir, I'm, I'm innocent in this. I did not throw it. But you were audience to it, were you not? You allowed it. You were entertained by it. No! Do your parents know that you harassed me so? No, sir. Speak up! No, sir. The old man grabbed the boy by his lapels and brought his face close. Geppetto's teeth, yellow and snarled, gritted tightly together like a lion about to roar. His broken tooth still hung and dangled above his lower lip. The blood from his head reddened as it began to freeze to his face. His eyes narrowed under a brow so furrowed, it centered poor Carlo's eyes powerfully beneath them, as if they were now an awning shadowing him from the sun, from hope. The boy was now sure the old man would kill him right there in the snow. I want you to close your eyes. Sir, please, don't do this. I said close him! The boy did. He then began to cry. This was it. This was surely it. I want you to imagine your parents at home. I want you to imagine me arriving at your doorstep, knocking on their door and saying to them, let me in. Something's happened to your boy. And when they open the door, what they find is a snowball in the back of their head and me laughing so hard I could vomit. And then locking them out of their own house. What would they do? Imagine them opening that door, the message on the other side crippling them, sucking the breath right out of their lungs. Oh, dear God in heaven, please let him be okay. That's what they would pray silently to themselves before opening that door, only to find nothing, except the door closing behind them, trapping them out of their own home. And then, wham, a cold, hard, icy snowball at the back of your skull. And just then, after that series of mysterious incidents, you would begin to realize it was just a prank. Imagine how they would feel. Sir, please, we didn't knock on your door. Light! I'm not... I'm not lying, sir. Tell me the truth. I am telling you the truth. How do you know about my boy? What boy? Please, please, sir, stop hitting me. How do you know about Pinocchio? Who? Don't fucking lie to me! I've never heard that name before in my life. Please, please! What did you do with my boy? I didn't do anything with your boy! If you harm so much as a hair on his head, I will kill you. You hear me? I will kill you and your friend and both your families. You hear me? We know nothing of your boy, sir. We came by uh, as you were shouting at your door and pounding on it. And and Manny wanted to mess with you. I told him not to. The old man stared daggers into the boy's eyes, which were now purple and swollen. His nose cracked angrily to one side. Blood now leaked from the boy's mouth and nose and dripped like a broken faucet onto Geppetto's hands, which slowly and with more violence squeezed the boy's lapels even harder, and then... No one will harm my boy. The old man released the boy's lapels, and his body dropped unconscious to the snow.
Blood ran down Carlo's face like road maps from his jagged nose, his broken teeth, and his swollen eyes. It pooled elegantly on the white below and melted its way to the earth. The old man, sore and bleeding, picked himself up off the frozen ground and looked out at the street. Not a soul in sight. It had begun to snow. Big, thick flakes blotted out the sun, and a great wash of gray covered the land. He breathed easily and allowed the fog of his breath to cloud his face, but when it thinned, his angry eyes softened, and he turned his head back towards the house. He grabbed a piece of iron on the porch and moved for the tiny window to the door's left, a window he could fix by summer. He'll just need more wood to balance out the cold. He raised the piece of iron high and was just about to strike his own window when... What the devil? His front door had opened, simply. Not with any sign of energy or abruptness, but with simple purpose, as if to say, come on in. The old man lowered the piece of iron momentarily and looked quickly about the street. Nothing. Just Carlo's unconscious body puffing up steam. He listened, but could hear no one inside. He raised the piece of iron again, this time in a defensive position, and moved for the door. He opened it slowly. Who's in there? The old man stepped carefully inside. The wind howled through the slightly cracked door. The snow was coming down harder now, but inside, the fire crackled as if no event had taken place, as if all were still at peace. Who is in my house? The old man took another step inside. The floorboards creaked, which murdered any chance of a stealthy attack. Another step, another creak. Close the door, would you? It's getting cold out. Who the hell are you? What are you doing in my house? The voice came from nowhere, or at least the old man couldn't seem to find it out. I helped myself to some whiskey. You didn't have any tea. I hope you don't mind. Who are you? My name is Jiminy. And there, arched over the cap of Geppetto's whiskey bottle, was a tiny red cricket. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. It's true. I've gone mad. I'm afraid not, Geppetto. And it knows my name. A talking cricket knows my bloody name. I, I am mad. I'm afraid I've got some very bad news, old man. Your creation, your Pinocchio, is lost. What? What do you mean, lost? Lost to the world. He was abducted by a very dangerous man. A man who does heinous, vile, inexplicable things to little children. Especially to those cut from a different cloth, if you will. How do, how do you know this? Because, Geppetto, that man works for me. And who are you? Allow me to answer your question with a question. Is your soul for sale? The old man's hands began to tremble. The iron dropped, and with his back against the doorframe, he slid steadily, helplessly to the floor. The wind howled louder, and outside the snowfall thickened, and a tornado of flakes barged through, pushing the door open. Snow stung his old face as it whipped by. Geppetto turned his head to look on the change of weather. Thunder cracked. 
Geppetto could see darker clouds rolling in. Bolts of lightning broke through and stabbed the ground. He could see that Carlo was no longer in the yard. The boy must have picked himself up and hobbled away. Faint traces of his blood colored the path of what must have been a slow and sad escape. The old man could see now that he was, indeed, not mad at all. He could see that Carlo and Manny had not locked him out of his house, that a red cricket was, in fact, speaking to him. He could see now that this visitor had a purpose. He could see now that his boy was lost to the world, somewhere between God and evil. You have been listening to Chatterbox Audio Theater's production of Pinocchio, Book One, Between God and Evil, featuring Katie Kalaherka as your narrator, Mark Robbins as Geppetto, Becca Scott as Pinocchio, Emily Peterson as Carlo, Dan Hilliker as Manny, Stephanie Roberts as the Blue Fairy and the Old Hag, Matt Rapport as Dr. Kenneth Daudry, Greg Brostrom as William Johanningmeyer and Creed, Manon Halliburton as Song and Jiminy Cricket, Izzy Baldwin as Jasper, original music composed by Aaron Preston, music performed by Aaron Preston and Daniel Ernest, sound effects by Merlin James Alexander Salisbury and Joe Concha, produced by Joe Concha and Merlin James Alexander Salisbury, original text by Carlo Collati, adapted and directed by Kyle Hatley. This is your announcer, Emily Peterson. Chatterbox Audio Theater is a nonprofit web-based community theater that advances the exchange of ideas by channeling creativity and artistic collaboration into recorded audio works that enlighten, entertain, and inspire. Download all our shows, meet our cast and crew, and make a donation to support our work at www.chatterboxtheater.org. And that was Pinocchio, as you've not quite heard it before, by Chatterbox Audio Theater. And you'll be able to hear them with a live new show, live to broadcast through the internet, as well as on some local radio stations on Halloween. Um, however, that's enough for this week, I suppose. Uh, kind of a mega episode here in Radio Drama Revival, but I can't help it. We get pretty excited for Halloween. It's our uh, biggest night of the year. So anyways, um, next week, uh, we arrive on the West Coast at last with the Lomit Radio Workshop. And of course, you can't wait that long. Do find us on Twitter at Radio Drama. Search Facebook for Radio Drama Revival. Of course, the website's got all the podcasts, 150 more hours of audio drama at radiodramarevival.com or search iTunes Radio Drama Revival. That, however, wraps it up for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalge. Copyright of individual shows remains their original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you like. Radio Drama Revival originates on air, on air radio at WMPG-FM, Greater Portland, Maine's Community Radio. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com's Labor Love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. Mm-hmm.